0: I'm Hey gang! Welcome to episode one fifty four of the No Priscinium podcast, the voice of everything immersive, brought to you by Meow Wolf. I'm Noah Nelson, coming to you from No Pro headquarters in Los Angeles. This week on the show, we have transmedia producer Emmett Fury and puzzle designer Elisa Teague, and they're here to talk about how D and D's gone a little immersive, or it it did go a little immersive. Look. Here's what's up. There was this ARG, uh, it wound up being known as No Stone Unturned, and it was all part of uh, a buildup to this big live streaming event called the Stream of Many Eyes, which took place here in LA, which involved getting all a lot of the the sort of the the well known streamers who play D anD D all into the same series of games um, not playing the same games but like an interconnected series of games a lot of which were tabletop and some of which sort of had this um, this this uh, this physical element to them like they built part of a town look we're gonna get into all of the details on this in a little bit but as sort of a setup and a backstory here uh, Emmett and I have known each other for a few years and back back in our old uh, transmedia LA days, um, and we, we we've always talked about transmedia stuff, and we've always you know in comic books, and we've gone like karaokeing together. And <clears throat> Emmett's been his career has been evolving. Uh, he's recently gotten pulled in by Niantic uh, to do some tabletop role-playing game stuff for them. Uh, Niantic, of course, are the people who do Pokemon Go. They also do this thing called Ingress, which is what he's working on. And suddenly, uh, you know, after the Stream of Many Eyes happened, uh, it came out that Emmett had worked on the ARG for it. And I was like, whoa, 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 hold up, hold up, hold up. What now? Um, Because when that ARG started, People in the ARG scene got really excited. It was like, whoa! Wizards of the Coast is is kicking something off here. Um, this this moment we're in with gaming, um, and and I did not forget about Elisa. I'm about to about to talk about her because I hadn't we hadn't met yet. So context, right? Like like you are hearing me meet Elisa for the first time, and and she's rad. Um, context though. There, as we all know, is sort of this deep interrelationship between the kind of deep dive personal storytelling that happens around gaming tables and immersive work. It is not unrelated. And as this renaissance continues, uh, we find these crossover points of inflection where the people who make Dungeons and Dragons are having an ARG to promote their next wave of D and D. But then you have D and D players who are setting up very elaborate physical scenarios uh, as part of their gaming, uh, which then sort of can blur over. And next thing you know, Oh, like now maybe we're doing LARPs and then out of LARPs, it's like, Oh, like this can kind of go into immersive theater. It's, it's all of a piece. And, uh, if you want to think of it as a jewel, as a, as a shiny, shiny stone, perhaps, um, this is one facet of it. So as soon as I saw that something was up, I was like, "Hey, you want to, you want to get together?" And he's like, "Yeah, but like, you got to meet Elisa. She, she's the puzzle designer on this. We worked on this together. Uh, this is how we should do it." And I'm like, "Oh, well, hell yeah!" Um, and what you're going to hear is uh a lot about the event itself and we're going to crack in I I got to a point where like I really wanted to like like get into like what what's the deal with puzzling and and how that happens so you're going to hear that question pop up um cuz that's part of my own sort of skill set that uh is totally lacking right like I I I I I I'm a puzzle, what do you call it, a, puzzle, a puzzler, I guess, is the person, no, a puzzler is the person who makes puzzles. Look, I am not skilled in the ways of the puzzling, alright, like, I can solve some stuff, but the whole design side of it is kind of a mystery to me, uh, so don't be surprised if we don't find ourselves exploring more of that territory as time goes on, because of course it's, it's interrelated. Alright, that was the full setup. Um, Let's do the tiny bit of business that we've got. It is time, as always, uh, towards the top of the show, where we thank our latest Patreon backers, and we have some new Patreon backers to thank. This week, we have Ellen Workentine and Mahir Kedia. Um, Again, if I butchered anybody's name, please write in, tell me how to say it, and then I will say it again Um, The sustaining backers for the show, as always, are Bradley Smith, Jan Budman, Lonnie Hansen, Arthur Tubman, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, and Ross Sigworth Thank you all, gentlemen Um, Yeah, you had a full setup Uh, Let's get into the show We gotta go here The world is chaos right now, but something cool happened, what is it, like a week and a half ago now? Two weekends ago? Two
1: weekends ago. Two
0: weekends ago. Okay. And I think this is going to run this week, so it'll still be two weekends ago. Um, this thing called the Stream of Many Eyes. What the heck was that? And because I saw it on social media, like I got a gestalt sense of it. It's like suddenly there was a lot of people, a lot of people who have like, YouTube and Twitch shows where they play role-playing games, something that I still don't entirely understand, uh, because I am old. But uh, where that's going on, they all gathered together for a big release from Wizards of the Coast, which I nearly accidentally called TSR, because I'm that old. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, it started off my tongue, I was, Wizards, it's Wizards! Um, So what what was this thing, and what did you guys make for it? Because you made something pretty cool.
2: Yeah, I mean... Yeah, right, I'd say it would grow. It did grow out of a lot of these streaming shows, you know, shows like Critical Role being, you know, one of the first. Uh, I think uh, in that case, Matt Mercer and his is awesome voice actor friends. You know, as much as it took me a minute to adjust my head around the idea of like watching people play a game that is designed for us to be playing. You know, in their case, besides the fact that Matt's a great GM, like uh, you know, as voice actors, you know, their scene work and actors and voices are just so much beyond what most of us are ever going to see at our home table so i think part of you know the that's a big part of it it's like people are tuning in to watch because they're like you know what like this is unlike any sort of role-playing experience that i'm ever likely to have uh and uh for stream of many eyes um basically they uh dungeons and dragons uh wizards of the coast uh at a studio here in la two studios one they built this whole immersive 360 portion of the city of Waterdeep, which is, you know, one of the main uh, cities in the Forgotten Realms uh, setting, and uh, in there, they streamed some, uh, what uh, I'll I'll at least in a minute go into uh, how they characterize off the table. It's in costume, Uh, not really characterized as LARPing, but, you know, similar.
1: Yeah, you know, Ivan's going to kill me because he has said that this name that he he has a name for what it is um, that he's pushing and I am so frazzled and whatever from everything today I can't even remember what the acronym is and he's gonna murder me but it's basic it's not larping it's um, basically playing Dungeons and Dragons or any role-playing game um, but not playing around the table but still using the same mechanics. And and playing versus just acting, which is more of what the a LARP is. Right. Um, and there's still a dungeon master, and it, and so man, I really of, wish I could remember what he calls it.
0: So kind of, <laughs> kind of, for lack of a term, better term, sort of a little bit of tabletop standing up.
1: Yeah. I mean, so what we did for the Stream of Many Eyes was uh, it was a three-day event. And on Friday, there were just regular on-the-table games, um, streamed games like you would see from Critical Role or or any of the others. Um, And then same on Sunday, we had celebrity streamed games. Um, interspersed with a fan event that fans could buy tickets for and and actually walk through the streets of Waterdeep and interact with cosplayers and and you know magicians and sword fighters and we had a real blacksmith there and and they could go to the Yawning Portal and get some ale and just be in it um, but on Saturday uh, Ivan and I wrote a storyline that was seven games four of them were on the table normal streams and then three of them were these off-the-table games that took place on the set that Emmett was describing. Um, and so that was, that was super cool. And then what we did leading up to it was for the 30 days prior to the stream, we teased what was happening. And, and as a promotion, we did an ARG, which is an alternate reality game.
0: Oh, yeah. No, luckily, the the listeners are familiar with the old ARGs. I mean, it's it's kind of fun because like, it's almost like ARGs are having a little bit of a renaissance right now because they've kind of been dormant for a, a few years. And I remember when this popped up, a lot of people, their ears perked up. And I was like, oh, is it is it going to lead up to something? And some folks just excited about the idea that Wizards was actually promoting something with an ARG. Um, promoting the event and the event itself it was for it was a book release party right kind of
2: essentially yeah to announce the like new product new storylines in this season uh like, there was a streamed event last year, but it wasn't as ambitious as this. No,
1: it was, I mean, yeah. yeah building a
2: part of a small town is not... Yeah, uh, this,
1: this is uh, a huge event that, that we put on, and it was definitely a step up from last year, and hopefully next year will be even bigger and badder. Um, and, yeah, it was really great, but it is promoting the upcoming season for Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, we've moved the storyline to uh, Waterdeep and the surrounding areas. I'm trying to remember what I'm allowed to reveal, what I'm not allowed to reveal. <laughs> but basically what was announced was um, the first uh, main book, which is the dragon heist storyline that takes place in Waterdeep, and the second book that will take place Undermountain, uh, which is a really cool place to explore for Dungeon dungeon delving.
0: How do you two wind up making an ARG for this event? And... And this off-the-table gaming, how and how how is that integrated into this set? Because the obsession everyone who listens to this show has is with immersive experiences, right? Um, and that can be either like an immersive theater piece, or it can be an escape room. Um, and the the lovely crossover of the two. Oh, hell! Last night, um, last night I got to participate in a thing called Escape from Godot. And they oh, so you took, post about that. yeah, they they took they took Godot, and they mashed it up with an escape room, and it was sublime.
2: That's
1: all. Is it an escape room that's running? here? It was, at,
0: it was at the Hollywood Fringe. Oh, so it was it was one day only at the Hollywood fr- Fringe. They'll they'll hopefully remount it, uh, but then again, on the other hand, uh, the 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 Beckett Estate is uh, famously litigious, which may or may not play a role in the storyline of the game that's the show and the show that's a game huh. but so so that's th- this is this is where we're all coming from so the things that that get my attention first and foremost actually it's got to be like the fact that they built part of Waterdeep, and that you were running games in that section so what was that like what kind of what kind of things happen in in those experiences how would that be different from a normal tabletop game
1: well the thing that was most different about the games that were actually taking place in Waterdeep is that we had not only our our built-out sets but i had the ability to write puzzles that were built into the sets themselves so instead of just having i run a lot of games where i i insert puzzles into the games both just in regular tabletop board games almost everything that i've I've worked on, at least recently, has had hidden puzzles in it, Um, but even the the role-playing games that I play in at home, I always put puzzles in everything, and all of the stuff I've been writing for Dungeons & Dragons has had puzzles in it. And this was totally a new thing for me for Dungeons & Dragons because I got to incorporate puzzles everywhere, and so we not only had props that were puzzles, but we had actual decor in the main city streets of Waterdeep, which was the second off the table game of the day. It was an Einstein logic puzzle, basically. Mm. Um, It was who lives in what house? It's the, the classic logic puzzle, right? Except that we had four doors that were actually working doors on working buildings. And all of the hints that you would normally see in that type of logic puzzle weren't put down on a piece of paper they were hidden all over the town and hidden throughout all of the games uh preceding it in the stream oh, so wow. there were there were hidden clues dropped even though there were different people playing uh we had m- uh, messengers and send spells and different devices that we had to carry uh information that players uncovered during their streamed game Anything that they actually uncovered was a successful clue that was passed forward. If they didn't uncover the clue, the team that had to solve that logic puzzle was missing one clue. So the more the preceding teams of uh, players were able to solve, the easier it was for that team to solve the logic puzzle.
0: So we're talking about a cooperative, both narrative and diegetic... Clue set for a, 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 a sort of a, a master puzzle that's oh, going absolutely. on.
1: Absolutely. And, yeah. it, and, it, and it, so, in some ways, it played out great. And in some ways, I was like, oh, they're, they're missing something. You know, the, in the very first, even the off the table game where they were in the Yawning Portal, there was a totally different puzzle in there. While they were solving the puzzle, a very, very famous character in Dungeons and Dragons canon, Mert the Moneylender, walks in in his grandiose costume uh provided by castle corsetry she did a great job um but he walks in and he's nailing a poster um a lost dog poster basically a lost wolfhound poster to the wall in on like their message board like their community message board that a bar would have right so we basically put one of those on there and the solvers the players were so involved in solving the puzzle they missed it. <laughs> and it was a major hint for later. Right. Um, they, they were able to still get that. They still solved the puzzle, but it was a lot more difficult for them. So right. we we planted things all along the way.
2: I'd say it was pretty funny. I, uh, so I'd i rented a costume from uh, Castle Cors- Corsetry to be able to be an extra in Waterdeep for... I did it for the first two days, and by the third day, I, I didn't. But, like, <laughs> I was... You know, we were tired. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I had a picture... Uh, taken of me behind the bar in the Yawning portal, and you could see the. Because the thing is, one of the puzzles was built into the. I think I
0: saw that picture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and,
2: and someone was like, Why does that thing cost 17? I'm like, I'm, I, Since this is tomorrow, I'm not even going to respond to this. Like, I don't want to give, uh, you know, an inkling that that, it, yeah, it was, that, whole... that that was part of the puzzle. It was yeah. like certain yeah. things were more expensive, and that was a, a thing that they were supposed to, to solve. But I'm like, Well, well. Eventually, Michael Anderson explained it after the fact in the comments. <laughs> Uh, so I'm like, cool. Thank you. Side
1: note: I painstakingly built that m- menu board myself, <laughs> um, I and yet. so yeah, I had, to, <laughs> I had to line up all of those letters. They were all individually cut out, laser cut wooden letters that I laser cut at my house, and I had to line them all up in the sun. In the, it was like 101 degrees that day, and um, but yeah, but that was a that was a puzzle in itself. That was the puzzle they were trying to solve when they missed the wolfhound thing. So, oh, wow. um, and yeah, I don't know what happened to the menu board, woohoo Hollywood! Um, but yeah, it was it was a cool looking puzzle. So,
0: what's the road that leads you to to being the ones to to make this stuff for
2: for wizards? I mean, I can give I can give I'll, it's like a it's like a straight line that you could not predict in a million years. Uh, That's like
0: the classic, like, (laughs) like, like destiny's garden, right? Like, you know, like only when you look back, do you see that it was a straight line, right? Yes. Yeah.
2: And I like, you know, I've, um, up until now, I I suppose I've been most distinguished by transmedia work, you know, that I just sort of bootstrapped myself in in a large part early on, like most of us did. Uh, and that's how I met you originally with transmedia LA and, Mm -hmm. and other kind of similar, uh, and you know so that's all in my sort of background and i've done some very indie args for my very indie web series or and different sort of interactive uh, transmedia stories with other kind of indie web series and uh but i also worked on a one of these live stream shows for geeking sundry's alpha for two seasons it's called vast um and uh because of that i connected with someone who i'd met at a transmedia conference who works at Niantic where I've been working recently to help them with some RPG stuff Right. Uh, to design sort of a, an original uh, RPG, tabletop RPG for Ingress and I've been writing modules for them and running games at events throughout the sort of country and uh, and you know maybe eventually we'll have a streaming show for that too and, yeah.
0: uh, I mean I remember when you started when got announced that you were going to be doing tabletop role playing games for Ingress and it kind of broke my brain a little bit because I was like okay so there's this there's this alternate reality game that's and it's, it's a, the first AR game to like take off at all, right? And without it, Pokemon Go could not, literally, could not exist because the code base is right. is, mm-hmm. is there, right? All, all the map markers uh, for Pokemon Go are based off Ingress players' actions, um, and and that you were that, that was migrating over to tabletop. Like it's it almost feels like the way like the internet's made the whole whole of history flat it's like it used to be like something starts here and grows this way and instead now it's like okay well this ar game is now going to become a tabletop game and it used to be like no like table like we were talking about cyberpunk uh Mm -hmm. before we started rolling and it's like cyberpunk was like one of the the great 80s role-playing games paper right and now cut to (coughs) years later and mike pondsmith's is becoming a video game, right. which yeah. maybe was always destined to become.
2: Well, it's so actually it's so interesting because like I'd forgotten honestly that one of my bosses at Niantic, like, worked with Gary Gygax when Dungeons and Dragons was first made. So he, oh he showed up at the stream of Many Eyes. And there's a new book by the Whitwers coming out that's like a, a awesome coffee table book about the history of D and D. And he was just flipping through it, and like think, that's where the hot tub was, and that's where we played D and D. So, so, so obviously he's big into RPGs from way back. So right. I think that's probably partly why he wants to incorporate it into Ingress. Uh, and it just so happened that he was starting to do that around the time I was posting a lot about Vast. We added each other on Facebook, but never like talked because that's what you do in L.A. You know, you meet yeah. someone at a thing, uh, and few things so, are sure? true. Yeah. So anyway. Uh, after I announced I was doing the Ingress stuff, I, I wound up having lunch with Ivan Van Norman, who, at uh, least, has already talked about who kind of ran the the off the table uh, sessions and yeah, wrote the he story. Co- with her. He
1: co-wrote the story for the Saturday stream with me, and he also was our DM for the off the table games. So Ivan recommended Emmett to do the uh, transmedia um, and storyline for the ARG. And then all they needed was somebody to write the puzzles, and so I was already writing the puzzles for the stream, and I've been doing other puzzle stuff for Dungeons & Dragons um, through other writing that I'm doing, and um, so they were like, hey, can you, can you just write a, you know a couple puzzles for this, and then... Uh, <laughs> then I kind of got out of control because I'm a crazy worker. At uh, least went above, <laughs> and, uh, above
2: and beyond the Call of Duty. Uh, no small part due to the fact that, uh, as will happen in ARGs, of course, uh, some of the early ones, and they were designed to be easy, but the players like felt them even quicker than we thought they would. Uh, oh, And, yeah. and therefore... The number of uh, puzzles you were contracted to originally make w- was not going to last for a month. And
0: I feel like that's like a, a constant problem that one day needs to be just definitively solved, right? Like the whole, like the players get ahead, and then like we got to keep feeding the beast, right? And there's this whole. There's this whole, you know, need to keep the attention going. You want to keep the eyes on what's happening, but like, even from the Ur er days, even from the beast itself, like it always was, like, oh no, they broke it right at the start. What are we gonna do now? Right. Yeah,
1: I mean, it happens. <coughs> um, in a lot of the ones that I've worked on, I, I definitely can tell how long it's going to take for a, a puzzle to be solved, um, and I and I write them accordingly, uh, depending on how. Long the the arc is supposed to last, or whatever the event is. Mm. I've written one day events, and you know, or or just events for theme parks and and different things that where it's only supposed to be 15 minutes, or even escape rooms. They're all timed, and, and when you write puzzles, you start to learn how long everything's going to take to solve. For this one, I you know, I, yes, I was contracted to write eight puzzles, and I knew from the get go that that wasn't going to be enough puzzles. I'm like, are you <laughs> sure you only want eight? And they're like, yeah, we're only gonna do eight. And then I just wrote more anyway um, (laughs) because I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to make it, you know, super cool. And so, uh, yeah.
2: Right. Cut to us, as we've said in other interviews, like, just, like, on a daily basis for a month, like, giving each other, like, hour-by-hour schedules of where we're going to be when so that, you know, whichever one of us has to handle, like, she's working on puzzles, I'm running the characters and releasing clues. And the other thing was... Uh, you know, where Lisa uh, because for the love of it, uh, did so many more puzzles than she even had to. Uh, uh, one thing I sort of saddled myself with uh, was I was like, I'm gonna have what's one character uh, speak in iambic pentameter, like rhyming uh, rhyming couplets. <laughs> so like every every tweet and every response off the cuff is like a little sonnet, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, they were playing a bard and like. I, I love doing that. Like, if weirdly, I'm getting known for it. Like, on Vast, there was an NPC in one episode I wrote that only spoke in ani pentameter. So I wrote little dialogue trees for the GM of, like, like what they might ask. So he had something to respond with, and it was insane. Uh, so it's a weird niche, but, uh, I, you know. It, had worked, practice. It,
1: to, it totally worked. I think he's crazy for doing it, but <laughs> it
2: worked. And it was a really fun, you know, honestly, it was. Like, and I, when I, whenever I bring this up, it's not at all, like... I know you always say you felt bad, but there was no reason to feel bad. We, we, the thing about, you know, you know, how these work when you're giving clues, like it's very specific about what information you can give. And it's really easy to be it's really easy to make the clue too easy or too hard. And when you factor into that, like meter and rhyme, you know, she'd give me what it needs to be and I would write a sonnet. And she'd be like, I really need to be more like this. And then i do another one. And it just, it was cool, like a very cool iterative process of us like going back and forth, of like, you know, me coming at it from one angle and her from another right. angle. Cluing
1: and- puzzles is a very delicate process because yeah. you, you know, you don't want to say the wrong thing. You don't want to throw out um, a red herring and have somebody go down the completely wrong path. And the way things are phrased, I mean, puzzle writers know there are certain um, typical clues that puzzle solvers look for mm. um the way things are phrased the way things are capitalized just everything about them like ev- even hints to what type of puzzle it is can be hidden within the clue itself and so um yeah i when i would send over a clue to Emmett, i'm like okay we need to say something like this and i would try to like rhyme it or whatever but i did not have time to like try and write it in in the iambic and, and so i would just send it over and Emmett would come back with like this beautifully written verse and yes it broke my heart maybe in too nice. i don't know <laughs> i should be more brutal but i was like oh it's so nice and i love it but we have to change it. I'm so sorry. And I would make him change things like four or five times. And I felt so bad because I know how hard it is to write that. Yeah. Um, But I was so scared that the solvers would take the wrong thing from it. Oh yeah. um, And go completely down the wrong path.
2: I mean, honestly, it's, it, the form speaks to me in a weird way. I don't even write many other kinds of poetry, but that's part of why I love it is like, I'm like, I know what I'm trying to say. I, but it's a real discipline to, like, make it fit the meter and the rhyme. But I'm like, there's a way. I know yeah. there's a way, and that's the challenge of it. And that's and even if we're iterating the same sort of clue a, a bunch of times, like, that's that's part of the process. And right. and, and it's more important, ultimately, that, that they not and it all told ended too up much working or too out. little. There yeah. was only
1: one that kind of threw them for a loop, and that was when, in order to fit the meter, we took the word average and said average with an apostrophe. And that and apost- They become obsessed
0: with the apostrophe. Oh, yeah. The apostrophe
1: yeah. was a major, major deal.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, uh, I'm sure that, like, every tome they could get their hands on was was referenced. Like, yeah, well, some got to be a monster manual somewhere where it's got this apostrophe. Like, well,
1: the other thing is that there were, you know, like, co- I don't code. Mm. Um, I'm a geek in many ways, but this I don't know about. But. Apparently, a bunch of the coders that were in there were like, no, in code, the apostrophes, like, stick, something sticks out about this. So they were trying to determine a clue because of the apostrophe, and the apostrophe had nothing to do with it, and we couldn't say anything.
0: Oh, and they, but they made a classic fallacy, like, they brought in outside information. Trying to interpret the clue, mm-hmm. right? As opposed to, I mean, I'm I'm getting the vibe that because things are going to be narrative or maybe diegetic to the world that you're, right. that you're operating. Oh, yeah, they in. definitely
1: brought yeah. in Earth knowledge. That I mean, some of them pointed to Earth knowledge, but they definitely did, you know. Yeah. Um, and we did it in character when it pointed to Earth knowledge, like when when we had them look at Earth-bound musicians. We said these are you know bards of Earth. Right. right but we still kept it in that same frame of reference of these are characters from Feyrune talking about this right? right but we never would have brought in you know computers and coding and stuff into something without specifically pointing it out but they were obsessed with the apostrophe. <laughs>
2: you know it's also kind of kind of it, wonderfully meta in a way that I enjoy and we sort of discussed this doing this early on but we didn't other than that maybe he knew it was happening we didn't loop him in any particular way uh well, you know, I, I want to circle back around to this story because we haven't really talked about what the story of the ARG even is yet, right? So we should yeah. maybe go into that. Yeah. What
0: was so? There you go. What was the story of the?
2: Uh, the story? Sure. So, uh, so basically, um, so there was an announcement for Stream of Many Eyes within the first couple of days of May, and uh, the first puzzle that Elisa calls half a puzzle because it was really just some. Morse code, which mm-hmm. is you know, uh, it, it said sort of hashtag no stone unturned, which was sort of the name and the hashtag for for the ARG, and that led people to a particular Twitter account uh, called Immortal Fortress. And uh, in addition, for anyone who didn't catch that, uh, the next day, uh, the D and D official Twitter account was hacked by Immortal Fortress, and this was the uh, this is the this is a sort of bard character who, who who only spoke in sort of iambic pentameter. And uh, they were saying essentially that they are an, an agent of Elminster, the Sage of Shadowdale. They're in Faerun and using magic to sort of communicate via our internet. And that, that, that the Sage of Shadowdale had sent a very powerful magical item uh, to Earth for safekeeping. Uh, it's so secret that, they, that the name can't even be said aloud. Uh, and sent with the stone a, a guardian to watch over it uh, and to make it even safer to make it so that the Guardian himself could not even accidentally give himself away, he got the Guardian to agree to have his memories magically altered so that he thought he grew up on Earth. So he was... What this was was... We'll get to it in a minute, but it it wound up being a sort of beloved character from Dungeons & Dragons lore who was on Earth, believing he'd grown up on Earth for a while and didn't know that there was a place called the Forgotten Realms or that's where he was from or anything about his past life. And so... Uh the deal was basically Elminster had said that uh you know, this stone and the wielder needed to be returned imminently, but then Elminster was out of pocket. And it was like you know, this would have been real easy if Elminster could have just like told everyone who the wielder was, where to find him, but instead this agent, Immortal Fortress, was like uh, there's basically a set of automated things like i'm being sent scrolls from elminster on, on in some sort of automated way and there's things that's going to happen on earth similarly that elminster has put in place it for just such an occasion if, if he's not available but the stone is needed and so that was sort of the framework for the whole arc so it, it first sort of began to be like we need to find out who the wielder is and some of the early puzzles led to that uh to this twitter username adam glover uh and this, this character, Adam Glover, uh, was also a Yelp reviewer. And uh, Of course. Yeah, as you do. <laughs> and uh, this I, I forget who on the Wizards team had pitched this originally, but what what uh, Adam Glover turned out to be Volo. And because Volo writes, you know, all those guides. Right. Uh, Even though he doesn't remember who he is, he still apparently has is just driven to like review things. So (laughs) on on, on Earth, he was like an amateur Yelp reviewer. Oh my god! And now,
0: now I'm never going to be look at any of those uh, source books without just thinking of them as giant Yelp. Yeah, collection. Someone printed out their Yelp collections. Basically, and they're, and they're it's the Yelp favor. It's yeah.
2: definitely the first time I've ever written a Yelp review. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh,
1: and you wrote a lot of them.
2: Yeah, there were a bunch. Uh, but you helped. Did you have to go to the places to write the Yelp review? Uh, no, this is Yelp
0: fraud. Do you understand what you're
2: doing? No, I know.
1: <laughs> I, I will say that the, the portions of the reviews that I wrote um, that had the puzzle content in it. Yeah. Um, Emmett filled out the rest but I, I wrote all the like the, the puzzly parts of it I researched those places so much to make sure that anything I was saying was accurate and everything we said was positive so you know um,
2: yeah I mean there was in the cases of uh we'll get back around in a sec there were some game stores early on in those cases I did speak to some of the owners and be like is there anything noteworthy about your store uh in the, in the other cases uh these, like, wineries and restaurants, like, didn't talk to them, and it's, like, some of the brews are real weird, like, but, like, gave high marks, so I'm, right. like, I think they'll be fine, <laughs> like, it's, like, there are poor people I have no idea what this review means, but, like, uh, you know, I think it's okay.
0: <laughs> Did any of the restaurants, like, try to, like, reach out as they often do? It's like, I don't understand what you're talking about spiders.
1: And, <laughs> Wait, no, we kept it pretty, I mean... Aside from like Volo's ratings, um, oh yeah. because Volo has a, a specific way that he rates all of the inns and taverns, I, I, you know, in all of the guides, you mm. know, with the, the daggers and everything. Right, like, it was
2: like tankards for like a, a food establishment. It's like three tankards or means daggers. It's like good if, food. Nice. Daggers, daggers is safety. Yeah, yeah, and like. So, so we use he, he used the same. I mean, we weren't able to use icons, so we just had to write it out. Like that's how he reviewed on right. Yelp. He's like, we're giving the safety rating of this place in, in daggers, <laughs> uh, you know. Which
1: we I, we were kind. We were we, we worked it out in a puzzle way, um, so that the reviews because the the reviews we were giving and the ratings we were giving definitely played into the puzzle solve. Mm. And so, but we still made it so that everything worked out so that we could still give favorable reviews to the places um and yeah we did do a lot of research we we decided to choose some like really cool and unique spots some of which i had been to so uh, for the, right. for the restaurants and bars and stuff um i make it a, a hobby of mine where i travel a lot mm. and so i always try to find unique cocktail bars because i like trying you know, special cocktails that bartenders cra- like crafted cocktails. And so I definitely chose some of my favorite bars in the world to include on that list because I knew how to review them. And then nice. there were a few that I've been dying to go to and I included those as well. And so, yeah,
2: it was a fun element to the early goings where once they, when they were initially talking to Adam Glover, who was clueless right. uh, to what was going on, uh, he was like, Oh yeah, here's the weird thing. Like I have this notebook where in my handwriting, I've written these Yelp reviews, but I don't remember writing them. So basically, all these things that had embedded clues were written by Volo before the spell was cast on him. Mm. And now he's Adam Glover, and he, so he doesn't... You know, so, sometimes it arcs, it's like someone, f- for story reasons, is being vague when they could just tell you. Like, no, we're giving you a clue. In this case, it was like, he legit doesn't know the answer. He's nice. like, I, I found a notebook that I didn't know I had with Elminster Sigilod, and there's more clues inside. So at the beginning... Uh, that was sort of an element. Eventually, uh, 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 there were other puzzles that led to them discovering uh, the spell they could use to restore Volo's memories, hmm. and and all the components they need to cast it. And then, and when that was done, he was Volo. And then I changed his Twitter to be Volo with a picture of Volo, and I was playing Volo uh, for uh, a, a couple of weeks, which was yeah. super fun. And um, that's where the meta bit I was coming in. We had a nice, some nice exchanges with so canonically in some of the dragon magazines and stuff uh you know certain characters from the forgotten realms supposedly occasionally visit earth and visit you know people like Ed Greenwood, the creator of the Forgotten Realms. Mm-hmm. So, so Volo. Yeah, I was,
0: when, when you when you started talking about the idea of a character escaping, like I, I remembered from my own dives, because there, there'll be those nights when I just hit Wikipedia and be like, "All," oh, and I missed out on this part of like gaming history. Let me just dive for a while, yeah. And that and all that part of it, like the whole metaversal, mostly because I was I've always been obsessed with uh, Planescape. So the whole metaversal part of D anD d has always been really fascinating to me, and the idea that there are characters going back. And forth between, you know, our Earth and and the Forgotten Realms. Yeah. So you so you got to have the character talk to his creator. Is what you? Mean yes. It? Volo was
2: was <laughs> tweeting with Ed Greenwood oh and God. talking about times they'd hung out on Earth and and uh, <laughs> and like we didn't even really call it out. We just had it happening. Yeah. Like yeah. a lot of the other clue based ones, it was like let me retweet this so that people know or they're seeing it you know Uh,
1: yes most of that conversation didn't even have the hashtag on it it was just if they found it they found it if they didn't oh well but a lot of people found it it was hilarious and Ed Greenwood is such a wonderful guy and he's totally into it and he played along so well
0: was it something that was like pre-planned to have that or like you guys just wound up talking to him and then it just he just went along with the game
2: Uh, like I suspect someone probably told him it was happening and that Maybe he might be reached out to, but I think that it was, yeah.
1: Yeah, he, he knew that it was happening and, it, and there was a possibility. Early on in the planning, uh, we had discussed him being more involved and in actually taking on a character role like Elminster. Mm. Um, and I was wary of that because I know uh, in a lot of ARGs, there are uh, very enthusiastic solvers that will travel and, and show up on, on his doorstep perhaps and, and bother him and his right. family. And I didn't want that happening. So I didn't want to force his involvement. He was involved out at the stream. He, he showed up to the stream and he dressed as Elminster. He played Elminster live on camera and nice. it was awesome. And he, he's so much fun and so willing to participate in everything um, and very gracious about it. But I didn't want you know potentially thousands of people Bothering him and his family. So he knew it was happening. So I think the Twitter interaction was the perfect way for that to play out because it was very natural. Yeah. Um, and he got to play with it as much as he wanted to, but not have to be, you know, bothered.
0: Well, there's something just charming about it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like just a little moment that happens in the course of this much bigger thing. I mean, that's one of the things that's really fun about this as a form um, with, with, with alternate reality games and, and experiences. That you get to have these just kind of human moments that don't necessarily have to add up to like the really, really, really big thing. And it could be the thing that's maybe like there's something beautiful about the idea of like a creator getting to talk to his creation like across time and sort of generations, even oh, definitely. You know?
1: And the players that that were paying attention to the conversation, and there were many people they they loved it. They ate it up, yeah.
2: so, yeah. I mean, we've talked about this in other times, but like, um, there were some really nice moments where you know like Volo sort of asked people like you know it's like obviously I love where i favor and where I'm from but like why do you guys love it like well, I know you spend a lot of time he's like pretending to be there and so got some nice sort of engagement <laughs> from people like explaining what they about D&D uh, the, another great thing that happened was as soon as uh, if Volo's memory was returned uh it we established that this character so Immortal Fortress this bard who worked for Elminster uh, introduced herself as Kalish Marivaldi and we established that Kalish and Volo had met before and almost instantaneously the players were shipping
1: uh,
2: Kalish with, with with with. <laughs> Volo. You,
1: you have to ship a- anybody right yeah. like, uh, I'm surprised they didn't do one of those melding names for them yeah yeah it's like portmanteau like i don't
0: know they, really, uh, they, they failed they failed maybe what that would happened have been if,
1: really difficult actually i can't even think of one off the top of my Keylish
0: head. Keelish and, and, and colo colo, colo? colo? Yeah, it's, eh, not it's
1: not like. great it's not great polish, good. Yeah, it's it's polish. It doesn't, yeah. Eh, yeah maybe but uh, but yeah, it was very funny, and it definitely changed um, the narrative of the story quite a bit. And that was all the the players doing. That was not our doing.
2: Yeah, like honestly, it was always it was always going to be the case that Immortal Fortress was not who they were claiming, and mm. it turned out to be uh, a more problematic villainous type character from from the story uh, from DD, known as Halister, uh, but. It meant it meant more when uh, when people were like that was another bit where Volo was asking for like dating advice from the players because he's like I want to ask out this person and I need help like how, I, how to do it so like by the time we cast. yeah that's gonna be gold by when the time we cast doubt we got dozens and dozens doubt. of
1: people like basically giving him advice on Twitter it was hilarious um, oh my God. but yeah yeah by the time he was saying by the time we started casting doubt on Immortal Fortress being who she says she is. Um, it was heartbreaking for a lot of the solvers that were, like, rooting for these two to get together once he got back home. Yeah, um, I was
2: saying, essentially, <laughs> Halaster, like, interdimensionally catfished Volo, like, by pretending to be this woman that he knew. Uh, it, it was, yeah, like, that was definitely a, a interesting. And then, yeah, ultimately, um, the last bits... Of, of the are revolved around like them solving puzzles to locate the portal that Volo would need to go back um, and determine the spell that needed to be cast and all the components that needed to be cast. And,
1: and then, and then send, him, send him home. Yeah. But then we had Immortal Fortress Kalish saying this is what you need to do to send him home and then we had a new person come in that said no wait a second I'm Kalish. Mm. This is what you need to do to send him home. And then our solvers had to choose, do we trust this person who's been giving us all these clues for three weeks and we've been following them and, and shipping them with Volo and everything's been right so far, we think, or do we trust this new person and, and what do we do?
2: Yeah, and then, so there was sort of a Twitter poll that was running about who to trust. The thing was, like, unlike every other piece of this, there was no empirical data to know who was telling the truth. Right. And uh, so one thing we sort of decided to do was offer a third option, which was like, do you guys not trust either? Do you think it's safer to just, like, since you have no knowledge, like, maybe, maybe just instead of sending him to either place... In particular, that these people are sending him, maybe just send him to some neutral place, like, like what, like Waterdeep. Maybe that's a safer option. And we were just going to let them see, let see which were one out, one of the two. Were they going to trust someone or another, or just say, you know what? I hope one of them is really who they're saying they are, but we have no idea. So, and ultimately, that's what they chose was not to trust anyone.
0: So they sent him to Waterdeep.
2: Yes. Right. And, and then
0: the stream.
1: The stream starts. Yeah. And so, uh, so yes, sending him to Waterdeep is where the arg ended. The stream picks up with Volo climbing out of the portal. And um, you see him. He has the, the, the stone in his hand, and he puts the stone on the ledge of the portal, which we built in the yawning portal <laughs> in Waterdeep. And he puts it on there and then uses his hands to pull himself up. And as he's pulling himself up out... A cloaked figure runs by, grabs a stone, and bolts. And so Saturday's stream was then dedicated to finding the stone. What it is. What is the name of the stone? What does it look like? um, And ultimately finding it at the very end of the day through the seven games. How,
0: How do you become a puzzler? Uh, this has been this has been back in the back of my mind like the entire the entire right. time through right because like so you he, 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 you've got this elaborate structure and like part of this is like I, I know I know some of the disciplines that Emmett comes comes through in terms of like writing and like this this and I think we got into it in terms of how a transmedia piece works so Sure. layering these different characters and these interactions are happening off to the side but like. Uh, we've had we've had escape room designers on the show before, but I've never really talked to someone just purely in the, the terms of you know the discipline of puzzling and how one how one how one cracks into doing that and like how much research goes into puzzle forms and when you're designing this stuff and a lot. I yeah. mean,
1: for me. It's hard to empirically say, oh, this is how you do it. You know, well, I just know what my own personal right. experience is. And for me, um, I grew up on puzzles. My dad, um, when I was little, used to give me puzzle books. We, we would travel a lot. We traveled all over the place. And, and when I was on an airplane or in the backseat of a car, I was always doing puzzles. And he taught me all about ciphers and cryptograms and, and breaking codes. And it was something that I was like really, really into. And I used to play all of the like text adventure games when I was little, and you know Zork and everything. And so figuring things out was always, I guess, part of my DNA. I don't know if I got it from him or, or what, <laughs> but it was always something I was really into. Um, and I grew up with it. And then I kind, it kind of like went by the wayside for me for a little while. And I got into the game industry, and I, I'm a board game designer. And through that business, I connected with a gentleman named Mike Selinker, um, and he is a huge puzzle writer, puzzle genius, and um, he kind of brought me back into it. I was... um, in pro- when I met him, I had just gotten back into going to some puzzle events. And this was before escape rooms were really a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was going to some, like, puzzly parties and things like that. And um, I was working on a book that was a puzzle book called The Secrets of the Alchemist Dar. I don't know if anybody out there listening ever had experience with it. But basically, this was a book that was a children's book that had puzzles hidden throughout it and if you solved the book it would lead you to one of i think a dozen diamond rings that were actually hidden all across america buried somewhere now as far as i know um the outcome of that was that nothing was ever found that they had their insurance like There was an insurance issue, and then the book was still wildly popular. And I never finished solving the entire book, but I solved a lot of it. Mm. And I remember when when meeting Mike, I was like, hey, I know you're a puzzle person. You want to work on this book with me? And then through talking about puzzles and stuff, I started doing freelance work with him for various ARGs and escape room projects and, and projects for different companies because his company, Lone Shark Games... Uh, ran a whole bunch of those and so I was working with him for a while he really got me back into it and I was working with him and another employee of his Gabby Weidling who's an amazing puzzle writer as well and through that practice um, I just started doing more and more of it Um, and we put out an awesome book called The Maze of Games which is a Victorian novel a solve-your-own-adventure style book where all of the pages are in the wrong order if you want to read the book uh, in order you have to solve the puzzles on the right facing page of every left page of narrative
2: hmm. and so I remember seeing and, that when it was on like was on Kickstarter or? yeah we
1: kickstarted it and uh, yeah it's it's fabulous if I do say so myself and um, I didn't do a lot of the puzzles in there but I did all of the graphic design for all of the puzzles and so I started learning about how I can embed puzzles into visual media. Mm. And that's something that I don't feel like a lot of people get right. A lot of puzzle books are very bland um, and they don't do it in a way that grabs people that aren't necessarily like puzzle people. Right. Everything looks like a crossword puzzle. right? And um, so I started doing that and, and through various projects for theme parks to entertainment companies to things like this for Dungeons & Dragons, I just started... Doing it, yeah. Um, and well, Dungeons and, and, and Dragons now has me as like there I've been doing a lot of puzzly stuff for them.
0: Well, and that, that leap from 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 visual to like physical and an immersive puzzling that is escape rooms. Like that's such a that's such a key key leap into sort of this renaissance we're seeing right now across the board of 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 all the the immersive games that are happening. Um, Because, I mean, I know like, for, you know, I've been to like, say like one of the the scrap events where everything's like in the booklet and it's a little bit like, oh, we're doing a, we're doing a booklet. But Mm -hmm. as soon as you're in a physical space and as soon as there's diegetic clues, like different people, what's fun about where we are with puzzles now is like different i feel like different people have different strengths in terms of the kinds of puzzles they can solve right some people are really good at physical some are good at math some are good at logic uh and and some are good at you know like (coughs) searching a space and Mm -hmm. and figuring out the mechanics of things Mm
1: -hmm. well yeah that's why whenever i do any sort of puzzle hunt which an arg is just a puzzle hunt online right any type of puzzle hunt that i do i try to mix up the types of puzzles um, that I'm writing and the levels of difficulty so that anybody can have input and these are really does puzzle hunts in general and especially ARGs are um, designed so that the community works together they're not designed for one person to be able to break um, is it possible sure but it really is supposed to be a group effort and bringing a community together and so for for this one, for no stone unturned, for Dungeons and Dragons, we really brought two separate communities—the Dungeons and Dragons community and the art community—together um, to work as a collaborative effort um, to solve this thing, and and it worked out beautifully.
2: And uh, and at least it built into the puzzles a lot of, uh, as we talked about before, like it didn't solving the puzzle did not for the most part require a lot of Dungeons and Dragons lore knowledge but there was but it was in there like there were like the codes in the Yelp reviews were like cities in Faerûn and all throughout there were like nods to you know It
1: definitely felt Dungeons & Dragons Right And then you you didn't have to rely on that knowledge But if you had that knowledge, it helped And so it gave Dungeons & Dragons players That were not necessarily puzzle people But wanted to be involved A way to um, put in their own knowledge And feel like they were part of the group effort Which they were Um, It definitely made things easier for the solvers If they knew the lore
0: Yeah well, there's also that, that sense of things that enhance as opposed to being required, right? You know, this uh, I was flashing on the Godot thing yesterday. Like, that thing that I went to, you didn't need to know anything about Beckett, like, at all. But every single thing you knew about Beckett made it better. Right. But the people who didn't, they still had a wonderful time because it was so well-designed yeah. and so beautifully observed in and of itself. Right. And that's one of the, that's one of the things that I think one of the, the core challenges of transmedia as a whole. I think like Emmett and I could probably like think on some some famous transmedia projects in the past ten years that like got that desperately wrong. Things that were really well funded and they 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 got the, the formula wrong in terms of how much you know needed like oh you got to come in here with all this knowledge or expecting people to get really excited about something that's supposed to be a hook to lead you out of the tentpole that you're you're currently experiencing and instead you're watching it and you're just like all well I don't know why these characters are acting like they're important because this scene sucks yeah. um yeah. and yeah
1: I think a lot of it has to do with um theme matching mechanic and mm. that's a, that's something that like I evaluate a lot on the board game design side of things. I've actually done quite a few panels on the, on the topic at conventions. Uh, when you're designing a board game and you're trying to theme that board game in a certain way, you don't want to just slap on a theme. It's like, okay, I can really you know love space operas or whatever, right? And then I have this game that has nothing to do with that theme at all. You want your mechanics to... to feel in-world with whatever the theme is. So yeah. when you're coming from it from the opposite approach, where it's like, okay, we have our theme. Our theme is Dungeons & Dragons. We're not going to throw a bunch of puzzles or stories in there that doesn't feel like Dungeons & Dragons. It still has to feel that way. If we had them running around doing real you know, earthbound things in this ARG, like in a lot of other ARGs, it would never make any sense. But instead, we were having them find the proper spells and the components for those spells and, and making it feel like they were casting it themselves.
0: I'm going to head towards the end here in a second, but in the past couple years between all the stuff of the streaming and this resurgence around LARP, which I'm seeing and a resurgence around um, just how much Wizards is putting out on in terms of D anD D? Are we going through kind of a, a role playing game renaissance at the moment? Does it feel that way from the inside, the way it's kind of looking from the outside?
1: I think so, hundred yeah. um, percent. You know, I was talking about it earlier like I remember when role playing games were dying, and I was sad about it, um, and I never thought that it would come back so fast and in this fashion yeah and I think that it's because of these streams that are happening that it's really engaging with a younger audience that's getting really like revved up to play it makes it look fun um and it always was fun right it always was but nobody thought it could possibly be that much fun
0: it gives people role models it gives people something aspirational like you were talking about like, in a, like the the fact that it's a bunch of voice actors doing it like that's the part that okay I, I start to get that idea because and then you start to wonder oh god what if Mel Blanc was a DM that
2: yeah. <laughs> you know forget <laughs> like, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Maurice LaMarche in that game and oh then my then goodness Frank yeah. Oz too? Yeah.
1: yeah that would be a game yeah there's a game for you right. um
2: yeah, I'm excited about, you know, the prol- proliferation of all the so-called sort of like indie RPGs that are a lot of ones that are kind of quote-unquote rules light, uh, you know, a lot of mostly dice still, you know, yeah. because it's kind of baked into it, but like, uh, you know, really focusing on roleplay, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's other ones too, like, do you know Dread?
0: No. Let's
2: uh, it, So it, it's a horror game. It's, it's, it's as a GM. It's usually one-offs, but I guess you could do it as a campaign. But instead of dice, you, you have a Jenga tower. and, <gasps> and basically, if, if someone knocks the tower over, the character, well, is removed from the story. It, it's that's death if death is appropriate, or whatever contextually is going on when the tower falls, uh, you know something bad happens. So, yeah. But you can just imagine, I'm honestly not the biggest fan of the game Jenga on its own, right, but these designers took this put it into a thing I already love. Can you imagine how, like, intense it is for everyone at the table? Oh, yeah. that... No.
0: Uh, look, I've built some Jenga towers in my day, and, like, there was one time we got, like, maybe, like, I'm gesturing very high, way high while really drunk on my birthday, and th- we were just, like, th- the tension, but then add narrative on top yeah, of
1: it. Yeah, it's nerve-wracking. R- I I hate doing this. I'm going to name-drop for a second. I don't mean to be name-dropping, but uh, the, I only got to play Dread once, mm-hmm. Um, and it was, I was at Will Wheaton's house, um, and we were playing it as he was learning it to then eventually play it on his show, Tabletop. And, um, so we were playing and it was a, and I'm so nervous when Jenga towers fall in the first place. (laughs) And, you know, you have to have really steady hands. Uh And we were playing a scenario that had to do with werewolves. Oh boy. And it was my turn and I had to like pull the the piece out and I was trying to go as delicately as I possibly could. And at the perfect, but also devastating moment, his giant dog ran through the room and howled (laughs) and it was so intense and it was awesome i mean it was awesome but and of course the tower fell and scared me half to death um but it was it was so perfect we like we just all cracked up um it was hilarious but also i mean perfect for the game but it is definitely a fun game and
2: yeah like interestingly uh Ivan Van Norman did a sh- or does a show on uh, on Alpha. Uh, it's called Sagas of Sundry Dread, and it's it in some ways was almost a prototype for the Stream of Many Eyes in the sense that it. It's it's the, that same acronym that we're not remembering <laughs> that he can She's be angry at us. But. <laughs> um, but like it was very much they built this very cool set like they're in the woods with like a like a like a cabin uh-huh. in the woods in the background and they were all in costume and yeah. there was a giant oversized sort of Jenga tower that they would go and pull from. It's cool. And oh, you wow. know, sometimes physical type challenges that they'd have to do and it it it, it it's a very similar feel and I know that that you know that's some in some way you know. In,
1: Oh, it definitely inspired it. It wasn't a live event. Um, It was pre-recorded and everything. And so they were able to do a lot of things that we were not able to do with a live event. Um, But of course, the live event translated into things that they couldn't do. So um, they're different but similar. Um, But it definitely inspired um, the stream of many eyes of like doing an act, not acted, but a unscripted role-playing experience on a live set yeah. um, on a like fully built out set and both of them turned out beautifully
0: This is great. Thank you both. I know you did a marathon like live stream <laughs> interview before this so you've now been about three hours worth of interviews yeah. by my calculations so we'll wrap it up but um, i got a feeling I'll be reaching out to you guys again and they're not too distant.
1: Well thank you for having us
2: Yeah, thank you <laughs>
0: Once again, I want to thank our guests, transmedia producer Emmett Fury and puzzle designer Elisa Teague for being on the show. And a shout out to the folks at Wizards of the Coast for letting this interview take place. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. We're just we're just a tiny little outpost out here. I know we're not we're not the largest podcast in the world, but uh, I'm glad to do this crossover stuff whenever possible. Uh hey, uh if you want to uh check out what's up with all the DD stuff, uh go to Wizards of the Coast, wizardsofthecoast.com. Um you can probably find links to all of the stuff they did with the stream of many eyes. The hashtag was hashtag some DD, which is awesome actually <laughs> like what a perfect hashtag. Stream of SOM. Oh hey, let's play some D D. Um that actually sounds good about now. Um, hey, so I'm headed off to the Sandbox Immersive Festival. Uh, I leave really early tomorrow morning slash late tonight. There's far too much to do between now and then, uh, including uh, a full day of work. So you're not getting uh, the chatty Noah this time, sorry. Um, if this is your first time on No Pristinium, know that uh, usually I go off for a few minutes here about w- whatever thing. Uh, next week, we won't have a regular show. Uh, we may have a mini-sode, uh, depending on if I'm unjet-lagged and chatty when I return. Um, Catherine is going to be running all of our social media and pretty much everything else uh, for the few days I'm away pretty much from the 23rd till the end of the 27th so it's only four days but um i'm uh i'm not gonna really be on the grid so uh try try not to i don't know burn the entire immersive scene down while i'm gone uh that will mean i'll never get to take a vacation ever again and that would just that would that'd be no good um <laughs> Papa cranky, um, <laughs> not the mama. That's for sure. Uh, where are we? Uh, yeah, no, um, that's it. Those are your orders. There's a bunch of stuff going on. Um, you know, delusions tickets are going on sale. Uh next week so if you're if you're not in los angeles, uh, and you haven't been paying attention to what's up with delusion Uh, they're coming back for this fall. It's very exciting and tickets are going to go very fast. So, um, you probably um Newsletter their newsletter subscribers get are able to buy tickets on monday and then um on tuesday Uh is when um, what's that thing? Oh, yeah public sales but knowing how it goes, whoo, yeah. And also, they've they've shrunk the team size, so it's, it's locked at eight, I believe, this year. Uh, more details are coming out over the weekend, uh, you know, when I'm gone. So uh, <laughs> you'll know more than I do when I get back. Okay, seriously, I gotta go. Uh, there's like laundry and stuff that needs to be done. Um, I was about to say something sappy. I'm not going to. Uh, let's do the credits here. Hey! The music for No Proscenium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. The sustaining backers of No Proscenium are Bradley Smith, Jan Budman, Lonnie Hansen, Arthur Tubman, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, and Ross Sigworth. And this show is brought to you in part by the generous donations of underwriting. How do we say it? I'm not a nonprofit. I'm just a human being. Meow Wolf. Thank you, everyone at Meow Wolf. All right. That's it. Um, you can find us at Uh You can check out uh, all the social media stuff. At noprosinium is the Twitter. No underscore prosinium is the Instagram or on Facebook, of course. Uh, Catherine Yu is, has the con. And um, until next time, I'll see you at the show.